You're listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ, teaching and worshiping God in the beautiful New York State counties of Orange and Rockland. Well, I want to welcome you again to the New York City Church of Christ. This is the Hudson Valley Region. And as Ryan said, we do have an awesome cathedral here. Uh, I love the summer worships. It's uh, very encouraging to be outside. We just always hope for a nice, cool breeze to come through every now and then. So uh, as you know, for most of us who have been here, uh, we are continuing our study on the Beatitudes. Um, So Phil started last week with uh, the first one. And then, you know, St. Louis has come up. And so a lot of our membership right now, they're in St. Louis. And so, you know, I, I was in my mind uh, about a week ago. I thought, all right, somebody, who's going who's gonna to preach on morning? <laughs> and, you know, not, he hadn't asked me anything yet, but I thought, man, that's going to be a tough one to preach on. This is all my thinking a week and a half ago. Then the text message came in. <laughs> Bro, can you preach on morning? <laughs> I'm like, oh. All right. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and I will attempt to delve into this subject. It's kind of like wah, wah, but come on. No. <laughs> and I have Don up here with the stopwatch. <laughs> Believe me, the, yeah, these jokes write themselves when, whenever I get up here. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, continuing here, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, pretty simple. Now, when we hear the word mourning, uh, you know, what do you think about initially? You probably think about loss or sorrow. Um, you know, if you lost a loved one especially, or a friend. And that's, you know, that's one type of mourning. And there's another type of mourning, too, that's more of a regret. But I'll just start off quickly just by reading what the definition is. So when you just look at the term mourning, it's the act of a person who mourns sorrow or lamentation. The conventional manifestation of sorrow of a person's death, especially by the wearing of black clothes, an outward symbol of such sorrow, a period or interval interval during which a person grieves. And, you know, last week when Phil preached on being poor in spirit, and that really essentially is a, a state of neediness, you know, mourning is similar in a way. In the, in the sense that when you're in a state of neediness and poor in spirit, it's very humbling. It's a humbling situation to be in need and, to, and for everybody to know that. Well, when you mourn, I believe, it's very vulnerable, you know, to shed tears, to really cry and feel sorrow. Now, and I, I don't speak for all the men, but I know most men have a harder time with crying and sorrow than women. That's just, you know, I don't know why we're built that way, but that's just the way it is. 
So for a lot of us men, I think what we tend to do during a time of loss or sorrow is we mask our feelings. We, we medicate them or we mask them or we try to temper them. And, you know, that's not always a good thing. Um, again, I believe with mourning, it does take a level of humility and vulnerability. Okay. So when Jesus speaks on this subject, blessed are those who mourn, um, let's just quickly talk about the first one, uh, sorrow over a loss. And again, most of us who are old enough, we've probably experienced that. You probably experienced the death of a family member, the death of a, a friend, a close friend, the death of a loved one. And when you reflect on that and think about it, you know, think about how it makes you feel, you know, there is a a deep sorrow there because you love that person, you miss that person, and and you want to be comforted. Um, You know, 20 years ago, my dad passed away, and, you know, me and my dad had a, a decent relationship, but when he, and I was there when he passed away, I was actually living in Atlanta, Georgia, and he was in Miami, and when he passed away, I was there because he had been sick. He was in hospice. And so, you know, so my family, we were there for the last few days and literally, you know, got the call. You know, we had just left the hospital and, and was at home for a, a little while and got the call saying, hey, you guys need to come back. So we went back. And he was gone. You know, that was it. He was done. And so I, I felt the sorrow but I distinctly remembering not shedding a tear. I didn't, you know, and I didn't want to manufacture something, but I didn't really, I didn't cry. And so, you know, you go through the process of a funeral. You, you, everybody's there. The family's there. Friends are there. I got back to Atlanta, and I was talking to one of the brothers in the church. And uh, he's actually an evangelist. His name is Sonny Sessions. Uh, some of you may know him if you ever did camp down in Atlanta. But a very, very wise man, and he was asking me about it. He just point blank asked, hey, man, how are you feeling about the death of your father? And I said, well, I'm sad, but, you know, I I don't think I was, like, boo-hooing, and I didn't, you know, that ugly face cry, you know, that one. (laughs) You just, like, go ballistic crying. And, he, you know, he was very calm. He said, okay, well, what you should do is just... Pray to God that he will allow you to feel what you're supposed to feel. I said, wow, okay. And it was very, you know, he said, don't manufacture anything, but just pray to God that he will allow you to feel what you need to feel. And, you know, so I, I started, I said, okay, well, let me, let me do that. And it, it really, it took a while. I didn't really feel the emotional part, deeply emotional part, until years later. And now why that is, I don't know. You know, again, we're, everybody here is in a different situation, and, and we all process things in a different way. But I think the key in that whole thing was in mourning, you know, it's, it's being surrendered. you got to surrender to the feelings that you need to express. And it is encouraging that God will comfort us. And it's also encouraging that when we read the Bible, 
we see great examples in Jesus, in his sorrow and his mourning. And one of the, the, the best examples I could think about is when Jesus mourned for Lazarus. So why don't we turn to John chapter 11 and read that. John chapter 11. And we'll start in verse... Seventeen. So prior to this, a lot of us know this story. Prior to this, Jesus had learned that Lazarus was sick. And so what he did was he purposely delayed going. He said, all right, let's just wait a couple of days, then we'll go. The disciples were like, oh, wait, it's dangerous there. We shouldn't go. Fast forward to verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had, left, had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. He wept. He felt it. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. <clears throat> then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, 
that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. A very, very moving passage and a very insightful passage into the heart of Jesus that he can mourn and he can relate and be sorrowful with other people. The second type of mourning that I want to talk about quickly, and we're going to come back to this just on a, to compare another time that Jesus was really sad. But the other type of sadness and mourning that I think we should attempt to feel is the condition of our world. The condition of the world that we live in. When you see or hear in the news, this happened a couple of years ago, four-year-old girl in New York City beaten to death by her stepdad. You see her picture in the daily news. How does that make you feel? Four-year-old girl beaten to death by her stepdad. Just a couple of weeks ago um, in the airport in Turkey, explosion. There was a picture in the paper of a man running with a bloodied child. Bloodied. A child. Man, what? how does that make you feel? What's your reaction to all of this? Do you just say, wow, what a a fallen world, and turn to the next page, sports? Or do you take a minute and just let it absorb? When you see a family, like, again, with this little girl that died, they they had the news cameras there, and and they were, you know, filming the, the mother weeping, crying, mourning over the situation. You know, as I get older... Um, and especially now that I'm a parent, and especially when you hear about things happening to children, man, it's it's sad. It really it it moves me. And you know, I think a part of mourning is you have to be in touch with the condition of our world. You have to. When Jesus was you know, preaching, there's an example of him being in touch with the condition of people. Turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 13. We'll read that example. Luke chapter 13. And we will... We'll start in 31. It says, At at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep on going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Verse 34. O Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what he's doing here is he he sees the condition of Jerusalem. He sees the sin. He sees their rejection of the gospel. And he feels sorrow for them. Sorrow. Now, contrast that with what happened to Lazarus. And they even bring this point up in the situation with Lazarus. Could Jesus not have made Jerusalem repent? He could have. He has the power. He has the power to raise someone from the dead. Lazarus was dead, dead. Not sick, dead. You know, there was a a line in the movie Pulp Fiction, Samuel L. Jackson's character, who was a professional hitman. He spared this guy's life. And he said, normally you'd be as dead as fried chicken. (laughs) He said, but I'm trying to change. Lazarus was fried chicken dead. Fried chicken dead. You can write that one down. (laughs) How do you bring that back to life? I mean, that is an awesome demonstration of God's power. And he had a purpose behind it. Could not that same power have made people repent? Well, that's not his part. That was their part to do. And it's our part. And we'll get to that right now on my last point. Godly sorrow over our sin. Godly sorrow over our own sin. And when I read the, you know, the definitions earlier, you know, about mourning, what that means, and one of them was to feel or express sorrow or grief over anything regretted. Anybody here have any regrets? <laughs> yep. I'm sure we do. We have regrets. You know, there's things that we have done. There's things that we have said that we regret, and we wish we could take it back. But we're human. We can't. We did it. We said it. How does that make you feel in comparison with your relationship with God? We know we're sinners. We know we are. But do you get to some points in your life when you actually mourn over your own sin? I'm not saying... Ah, you know, God, forgive me, you know, please, I did it again. I mean, do you take some time every now and then, I don't know how how often you can do this, but, you know, this is not your average quiet time, to go somewhere, get on your knees, and break down in front of God and mourn over your sin. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
Okay. Second Corinthians chapter seven, and we'll start in verse eight. <clears throat> this is Paul writing. He says, "Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended." And so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. Godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. You know what the difference is? Worldly sorrow is just, you're just sad you got caught. That's all. Or you're sad of the consequences. That's worldly sorrow. And a lot of us have felt that. I'm sorry I got her pregnant. I'm sorry I, you know, got arrested. I'm sorry, you know, I have a disease. What? Who knows? You know, that's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, man. I, I'm nailing nails into the cross in Jesus' hand. For all that God has done for me and forgiven me of, yet I'm, I'm still sinning. That's a godly sorrow. And in this, back to Matthew 4, when Jesus says, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, he is talking about the the real, the mourning of losing someone and the mourning of your own sin. Because just like Paul wrote here, he says, the intention was to make you sorry. That was the intention. God wants you to feel bad about your sin. But do you stay there? Are you stuck there? Are you stuck in this perpetual cycle of sin? Feel sorry. Uh, a little repentance, sin. Feel sorry. A little repentance. Or are you, do you, can you break that cycle and mourn over your sin and really change and find some true repentance? You know, for all of us, it's, um, you know, it's, it's going to be different. You know, um, our sins are different. Uh, you know, some of us may be walking on water and, and you're, you're doing awesome. Some of us are really struggling right now, you know. Uh, and all of, a lot of us have been around long enough to know people who, you know, they start off really great spiritually. And time and the world wears you down. 
It can wear you down. And it can beat you up. And before you know it, you've drifted. And you've lost your way. We have seen it. I've seen evangelists fall away. Guys who stood up here preaching the word thunderously. Years later, gone. Gone. So what, what's, what's the point? In this particular piece of the Beatitudes, I think it is important for us to have a serious mindset about our sin. You have to have a serious mindset about it. Or else you'll just be in this cycle and you're drifting and we're all patting each other on the back and you don't really know where you are. So Jesus wants us to be serious about it, but he doesn't want us to be stuck there. Don't get stuck. (laughs) We can change by God's power. Thank you guys for your time and attention. Thank you for listening to the Hudson Valley Region podcast. For more information about our ministry or to attend a church service, please visit our website at hvregion.com.